0: You don't have to be successful in anything but in your own life. And if you're successful in your own life and you're happy, that's ultimate success. I'm Dr.
1: Mark Rowe, and welcome to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. As a family physician, my expertise is supporting people in the areas of positive health and lifestyle medicine. Join me in conversations that share life lessons, health habits, and leadership practices focusing on positive psychology, lifestyle medicine and ways that enable you to live with more vitality on purpose, appreciating that when it comes to your vitality, that everything is so interconnected. Episodes will air weekly and you can find me wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, on my website, drmarkrow.com. As a practicing family doctor with expertise in lifestyle as medicine. My purpose is to encourage and support you in terms of positive health, personal growth and all things well-being. As I say, to never stop starting. Each month on a live webinar, I teach learning by doing and learning by being. The why and the how of health enhancing habits, giving you the science as well as support strategies to live with more vitality. I'd like to invite you to join my self-development club. To learn more and to sign up, visit drmarkrow.com. So I'm delighted to be joined in the doctor's chair today by John Brennan, entrepreneur, hotelier, whose innovation, resilience and commitment to never stop growing and improving has really struck me. You're welcome, John.
0: Thanks very much indeed. Good to be here. Nice to be asked. Thank you,
1: John. Can I start with your book? Uh, My name is John, J-H-O-N. What motivated and inspired you to write it?
0: Well, I had time on my hands because I was in the middle of chemotherapy. And I was on 20 steroids a day. I was as high as a kite and I couldn't sleep. And I always have this notion in the back of my mind that underachiever at schools are never championed. And I think underachievers at schools end up being the champions in a lot of cases, but they need a little bit of encouragement. So when I had time on my hands, I set off at three o'clock on a Tuesday to start write, writing and I typed and I finished on Saturday. I think I did 75,000 words over the five days. And the book was written. As simple as that.
1: Uh, as yeah, simple as that. And of course, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication, but, but there's so much to un- unpack in those few lines. You know, I think, I think you're so right when you talk about underachievement and formal education, I suppose, versus the university of life. Would you agree that that's really where the real learning and opportunities arise?
0: Yes. Unfortunately, though, the, the system is all about points. Mm. And it doesn't take any um, um, allowance for the person who has a creative brain, but not an academic brain. And I was not academic in school. And um, if the camera was a bit lower, you'd see a mess of a desk here in front of me with sheets of paper everywhere. And um, and I couldn't sit down and read a book. I've only read one book, and well maybe two or three books, two biographies and a novel. Um, and that's all I've ever read formally in my life because I just couldn't do it and it's like on online courses it's like sitting in a classroom and being lectured too I never had a brain that could absorb that from as long as I can remember since I was five so the, the system that's in place and the curriculum only has one goal in Ireland in second level um, schooling and that's to get you to third level there's no other game you have to get to third level and um, Anko FOSS and um, search All the state-sponsored training bodies have been done away with. And I think society has has developed an opinion that if the teenager leaving school doesn't go to third-level college, there's something wrong. And um, since we bought Drunkwina in 2011, we would have employed an awful lot more young people than we would ever have employed in the park because it's wedding-based and that and we'd have students on Saturdays working for us. And the number of them that went to third-level college and dropped out after a year or six months um, was colossal and I think their self-worth diminished hugely because they felt they were a failure when the real failure was the parents sent them to third level college in the first place because they were never suitable for it. So I think there's a huge amount as you say for um, the lessons of life in, 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 an, in an, out on the street and to be able to sell flowers in Moore Street is a fantastic skill that they will never teach you in school but if you can sell flowers at gore street you'd be able to sell anything anywhere and i think that's one of the things that's really good with the irish they have that ability that when they go abroad they can look at people straight in the eye and they've done extremely well in various different industries right around the world uh, don't get me wrong third level is extremely important um, but it's not for everyone but the second level education system only prepares you for third level. And that's, that's the essence of the book. And, the, and I suppose the, the, the message in the book is twofold. One, to give hope to parents, which I think is is a huge part of the reason why third level is such a place to go. And the second is to give hope to the, to the, to the child who was like me, who couldn't sit in a schoolroom, leave school at 15, um, and went to work on a vegetable truck, um, and to give them hope as well. Because it, I did an interview recently on radio. It was very interesting because a teacher um, phoned in or wrote in, sent in a, um, an email or something, in it. and he said, you know, he said I'm a school teacher for many, many years. He said the first thing I do every year and the first day of the new of the new um, um, year is to go into the D class and say to the D class, listen, guys and girls, no one is proud to be in this class, but he said my. Experience over 30 years of teaching is that the majority of people in the A class are going to end up working for you. And that was a fantastic thing to do to a D class because that gives them passion and gives them to say, right, we have things that maybe the A class don't have. And it's the champion that, and that was. All part of the reasoning
1: why. Well, I think you're making such a wonderful point. I mean, hope, I think, is such a powerful positive emotion, Uh, you know, that, that things can improve in the future through the efforts you make today. And of course, nobody has the right to write somebody off based on any exam or at any stage in life. It's never too late, as I say, to to start again or to to recommit to to become that version of you. And clearly that's what you've done, John, because you know, you've obviously become a really successful entrepreneur. So where did your passion and opportunity for hospitality really come from?
0: It's funny, we didn't have hospitality in the family. And so far as mum or dad were never in the hotel business. But my mother never fed us. She always fed half the street. So there was a lot of people in and out eating in our house. And I suppose that's hospitality, the basis. Dad owned a grocery shop. And looked after people, and knew how to look after people, and run a good shop with all the labels facing out the front, and it all ding, 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 like clockwork, and in the in the whole shop, it was a it was a really nice shop. But he worked and worked and worked, and got looking six and a half days a week, took a half day on Monday, and then mum looked after the home. But in 1964 in Touchwood, it never happened. But in 1964, my father drew up plans to build a hotel in Sligo. Why he decided he wanted to build a hotel, we really don't know. But he went to an architect and he designed a building that would do Frank Lloyd Wright justice. Today, it is a really modern structure. And back in 1964, it must have been totally futuristic. Wow. Not the planning for it. And would you believe, at the time, there weren't ensuite suite facilities. And when Falsha Ireland or Bord um back in the day um, looked at the plans, they said, yes, but um, we would want you to put a bathroom on every room and the cost went through the roof. And he said, no, I'm not doing it. And he pulled out, which I'm delighted about because I was born in 1965 and had the hotel ahead. I wouldn't be ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a twofold story.
1: Isn't that interesting that, you know, your father had those plans and had those dreams and they didn't come to fruition in a way, but but they have through you and through your generation.
0: But true, true. Damien, my eldest brother, um, owned a very successful restaurant and pub in Sligo called Beezy's, and then sold that and opened a really good restaurant in Rosses Point called Reveries, which did a very good trade. Hard to make money in food, but he did a good trade. And then Francis went into Rule Street and did hotel management officially, um, and and um, got struggled through third level college as well. I have to say, and then he came and he came to Kenmare, and then my sisters. Um, Susan would have been involved in hospitality as well, and Catherine would have helped Francis at various different outdoor catering things back in the seventies and the eighties. So uh, we would have all dabbled in it some way, but it didn't come from our parents officially. Insofar as so we we don't come from a hotel background in that sense, but we're we're well able to talk, which is half the reason why we're in.
1: Yes, and it, it's clear you've got such a passion for your locality now in in Mayor. I mean, it's 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 more than just running a hotel to you, isn't it, John?
0: Uh, well, it, it's it's There's hotels and there's hotels, OK? And it depends what the nature of the hotel is. The park hotel is a very defined business. It doesn't do weddings, dinner, dances, funerals, baptisms, divorces or separations. It looks after happy couples and families on their holidays. Very, very simple. To work at a hotel like that and run a hotel like that and own a hotel like that is absolute bliss. Because I have worked in hotels that were all things to all people. And no matter what came through the door, you, you had some service to look after them. That meant that your head is fried between looking after the meeting coming in, the funeral lunch over here, the wedding coming in the back door, the bar being busy with a carvery lunch, and then commercial reps with showrooms and bedrooms and all people coming in and out to stay at the hotel. Whereas in our businesses, and it's true across all the three businesses that we own in Camer, it's totally focused on the resident guest And that's what makes it easy and makes it special for the guest. I measure everything that we do in any of the businesses in is what I would like to do myself. And I'm only raging that we own Drunquin and the Lansdowne and Drunquin and the park because they're places I would love to go myself. And that's really what we judge. And from a young person's point of view, travel is the best experience you can get. And if you go and you see things, I went to New York last week for five days, just purely to look at restaurants. To see what's happening see where the market is the service trends the food trends the presentation trends and restaurants and that like people say oh isn't that fabulous you went to new york's five days it is but our business you have to stay ahead and we're very very lucky insofar as we're a large enough business to be able to afford two luxuries in our industry one is a night porter because when i go to bed i can sleep because i know my hotels have been looked after there's a responsible person in charge so if there's an, anything happens Yes. Where hotels can't afford that. And a lot of hotels owners have to stay in the premises at night or they're on call. It's an awful uh, intrusion on one's privacy. And the second thing is that we have an accountant. And if you have those two things looked after in a hotel, we have the ability then to step back and look at the business um, with a fresh pair of eyes. And you must get out of your business. I know from the television series, um, the biggest, two of the biggest obstacles um, that, we, that we come across is they never step back from their business. They never get out to see what's happening elsewhere. And really all they do is keep the lovely Sanderson curtains and the wallpaper and the bedspreads to match. And all of a sudden they're 15 years behind the market. The market has totally passed them out and it's going to cost a fortune to get that business back in shape to cater for the industry today. Whereas you have to keep reinvesting and keep ahead of the, of the trends. And the best way to do that is travel and see things.
1: Mm-hmm. I think you're so right. I mean, travel does really broaden the mind. And I think you've raised some really interesting points, the the point about to never stop innovating, to never stop learning and, and applying that knowledge where it's relevant. And, and also, as you said earlier on, to really define what your offering is about and what it's not about. I mean, Confucius said, the man that chases too many rabbits catches none. And I suppose none of us can be all things to all people. And if you're looking at applying your time and your energy in terms of your health and well-being, you have to be really focused on what matters most. And a
0: lot of businesses, and this really annoys me, I hate when this happens, but a lot of people um, going into business see a, sees the business doing well and said, I'll do that. Like that does nothing for the market. That in reality is only giving the market, cheating in the market on price which I hate being in that position. I love to have a little bit of um, margin that we can afford to do the nice things for people for when they stay, as opposed to running a property on competing against this business over here on price, and you don't have the ability to do that little bit extra. Um, and when the restaurant down the road or the bar down the road is doing carvery lunch, the last thing you should do in your business is a carvery lunch because the market has that already. You should offer something different that is is it gives the it gives the market um, a variety and choice and gives you a premium for a product that's uncomparable to something else that's down the road. That's where I always try and position and like things to be. But you, we're lucky, I suppose, to have success is great because when you have success, you have positivity, you have energy, and you have adrenaline. Like the, the, the restaurant businesses, we own five restaurants and they're nightmares, every single one of them, because it is so labor intensive and everyone wants to own a restaurant and everyone wants to own a nice restaurant, great food at good prices. Now, please give me the recipe for that because that's not possible. Food is horrendously expensive. You cannot do it at good price if you buy good food. You physically cannot do that. Prices of food this year in particular has gone up 30%, but food was always dear. So it's very, very hard to do. And what happens is, and I've, I've umpteen chefs have gone through my hands over the last 30-odd years, and they own restaurants, and very, very few of them I told to go ahead and do it. And I would encourage people to do work for themselves at all cost, But... In opening a restaurant, what happens is they go in, they're full of adrenaline, they're full of, of of vigor and passion. They open up, they're working eight hours, 18 hours a day because it's theirs and they're I'm mad keen to make it a success. After a year, they get into such and such a guide and they get a claim in a newspaper, an article, and drives them on. But by year three, they realise that every day they go to work, they're actually poorer at the end of the day than they were at that morning. And the adrenaline dies very quick. It has a huge strain on relationships, and it is it is it is just not good for the person in the long term. So we're lucky in, insofar as that all our restaurants – are married to other elements of the business that makes money, and because food business is very very tough, and everyone is a Michelin star chef, but they couldn't bake an egg or, um, cook an egg at home. Um, but when they're with you, that they, they are geniuses. And so uh, put them in the kitchen for twenty minutes and sort them out. But anyway, it's 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 one thing making a cup of coffee. It's a, like I, it's funny now because we opened up a cafe recently, and I'm looking at the turnover in it. And I'm thinking, sweet. oh, I can't um, use language like that here on a program like this. I'd say to myself, "My God, how did we not make more money than that today? And actually, when you think about it, there's 90 or 30 cups of coffee in 100 euros. There's an awful lot of work in making 30 individual cups of coffee. So you can have a very busy business, but still not make money. So you can be busy fools. And um, it's very, very hard to get out of that position. One particular show we did on natural service, I'll never forget it. Um, I told them to close the restaurant today. I said, don't even open for dinner tonight. Shut it down. I said, because it's never going to make money. Lovely decor, lovely place, really nice people, but was in the wrong location. And I said, just shut it. And they looked at each other and they said, we can't. And we shut off the cameras. And I said, what's the story? And they said, well, they were stone broke, the couple, and they borrowed their daughter's communion money to open the cafe. Imagine that. And she was coming home at four o'clock in the afternoon on the school bus, jumping off the bus, thinking, Archie, we're here with our cameras and was at your service and we're going to get great. And I'm telling her, the minute she gets off the bus, we've closed the restaurant. I'll never forget it, stuck in my heart and still there till the day I die. But that is the reality of it, because you can become blinkered in, in the desire for success in a product that is never going to work. And that's the difficulty. You use the word and, and entrepreneurship and that all grand. It's it's business. At the end of the day, you get up in the morning, go out and you do your best and you come home. But you have to at some stage step back and reassess life, business, cost of doing it, the headaches of doing it. And what's the goal at the end?
1: And despite your evident success, John, things haven't always been easy for you. And, you know, I, I having read your book, you know, you've had some tough times over the years. Would you like to talk about those?
0: I would never have considered anything in my life to be tough. Genuinely, you, know, you can talk about cancer, you can talk about anything you want. And like we've had business failures, all of those things. But there's a positive out of everything. And you'll become horrendously depressed if you only dwell on the negative. And in everything that has failed, and as my wife says, if we had 100 euros for every project that we embarked on that failed, we'd be very wealthy today. And it's true. I have boxes up in the attic of 100 things that we we chased and looked at it, just didn't work for whatever reason. Some of them you'd be happy they didn't work. Some of them you'd say, mm, delighted, that didn't work. But unless you do those things, that's all experience. And that's the great thing about the mentality versus the Irish mentality. Tends to be in, in Ireland that if you fail at something, um, you're wrote off. And mm. um, he went to that didn't work. Whereas in America, that's seen as a strength that builds for the next and you, you, you have to get over that hurdle here and just keep going. I think if, if you're honest um, and you're straight in your business, I think you get an awful lot of credit from people. Um, and certainly when we built, or when we opened Drunkwin in 2011, when there wasn't two shillings in the country, it um, was the only hotel sold in 2011 and we happened to be the lunatics that bought it. Um, but we got a huge amount of goodwill from suppliers in that project because they knew everyone was strapped for cash. And they gave us as long a credit line as we could possibly have asked for, and which meant to let us get open, get cash flowing. And cash flow is fantastic. You can do great things with cash flow for a period, but there comes a period longer than that, where the business is losing money, it's gone. Um, but cash flow, you have to have cash flow.
1: I think you're really highlighting, you know, one of the keys, I think, to your success, which is your innate sense of optimism, realistic optimism, that is, and your ability to reframe experiences, not... not Labeling them as failures as such, but experiences as, okay, this happened, didn't quite work out, but what can we learn from it? How can we grow from it? How can we move forward? And you're right, that kind of American approach to, you know, failure really being being a notch on on, on the road to ultimate success, as opposed to something in Ireland where people are sometimes written
0: off. Yeah, honest failure. You can have dishonest failure as well. But if you have honest failure, people will rally behind you again. And I think that would be the same here. But, but you have to view um, projects and proposals with very. Co- I was offered, a, I'd say it was a 60-bedroom hotel, probably in 2012, with 100,000 euros. And I was being given this hotel, I had a swimming pool and everything. And I said, lads, if you give me, it was the bank who were giving it to me, literally giving it to us. Okay, there was no cash. They were giving us 100,000 euros plus this hotel. They just wanted it off their books. And I said, guys, if you gave me a million euros, I said, I wouldn't take it. Because it's the wrong product in the wrong place. And it's going to be an uphill battle for the rest of my life. So you could look at that today, which is doing okay as a business. And you could say, my God, that was a, a failure. And it was a, an opportunity missed. When in rea- reality, um, it was never going to be a long-term project, so you're better off saying no at the start rather than getting into something and not get blinkered with the hope of success.
1: If you were looking back, John, at a much younger version of you, perhaps that version of you has just left school without much formal education. What would you say? What would you say to that person now today?
0: Get buy a boat and sail the world. <laughs> <laughs> Take off. <laughs> And um, I'd be very happy with my life. There's nothing in it that I wouldn't have. I, I probably would have liked to have travelled a bit more when I was younger. And um, but my father was in; it was impossible to do that. But it would. I, I think it's hugely important. I have two kids, our own two children. And um, I literally pushed them out the door and tell them don't come back till you're twenty-five, and because they have to go and see things that will stand to them for the rest of their lives. And certainly in the in the in the hotel. Every year, I would tell people they're not coming back next year. Great people. I told the chef yesterday, superb chef. He will be head chef in the Park Hotel at some stage. But I told him, I said, great. I said, stay till January, but you're going in January. You're not here in February because he needs to travel. And you can become very complacent and life can become very easy in a nice job, good wages, in a, in a, in a, in a nice location. And you could say, yeah. And then all of a sudden, seven, eight years passed. But those seven, eight years are the years for you set your foundation. And if you get a good foundation, you can build to the sky. But if the foundation isn't good, you'll only get so far and you're going to crumble. And that's why I say about um, good training. Like if we have a barman who comes to a park hotel and he has trained in the happy hour bar on the corner of whatever street and he cleans glasses off tables with his fingers in the glasses and doesn't use a tray, he will never be able to work in a quality establishment because you, it's very hard to upskill a person who's got the foundation mm. wrong. Whereas that guy went in and trained in a good place, he could always work in that pub with his fingers in the glass and no issue whatsoever. But he can't move up. So you, you, you—certainly for teenagers and school leavers setting out, always aim for the start for the stars. Because if you aim for there, you can go anywhere you want below. It. But if you aim for here, you can't go up. And I find people's self-worth—they always underestimate their value and because they say oh yeah but I wouldn't like it there I don't think I'd be able for that and we get that all the time in the park hotel like we had an open day for recruitment last Friday which was the day of the storm a horrendous day and we went ahead with it because we'd everything done but we got seven staff out of it on an atrocious day but if I had that that was in the Lansdowne we ran that purposely but if I had that open day in the park hotel we wouldn't have got anyone because they'd be intimidated by walking through the gates and up the drive because they don't feel they'd be able for it. Whereas if I get them into the down, we'll put them in the park, absolutely, and they'll get on great. But as psychologically, people feel, oh, no, I shouldn't. It's not at my level. I'm not there. And that's absolutely wrong. You're only holding yourself back.
1: Mm, you're so right, John. Mindset is so important. And having a, a strong sense of inner self-worth and self-confidence um, you know, somebody once said, aim for the stars, you'll hit the sky, aim for the sky, you'll hit the ceiling. Um, I think you've articulated yeah. that really well. Um, John, you've had your own health challenges. Um, I'm aware that from reading the book that you had, um, you know, I think it was, was it blood cancer there a few years ago? Yeah, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Right. And, and how, how has that impacted you?
0: You will always have it. Yes. It's, it doesn't go away. Mm. It can be treated to a certain extent. And then I I don't know what happens in the end. But anyway, Um, how did that impact on me? First of all, I never believed I should have had cancer Mm. (laughs) because I had pains in my stomach. We eliminated curries. We eliminated red wine. We eliminated white wine. We eliminated gin and tonics. We eliminated white bread. We eliminated everything. And I was still getting these pains in my stomach. So anyway, I went to Cork, COH and, and Morgan McCourt, and it was gallbladder. So they took out the gallstones and the gallbladder. And when he was taking out the gallbladder, there was a little nodule on the side of it, which he said, sometimes it's small, sometimes it's big. In my case, it was big. He just chopped it, took away from him. And when they went away and diagnosed, there was cancer in this little nodule. So they came back in here and was diagnosed with non hodgkins lymphoma on the exact same day that we bought a Manor. My wife went out of her mind. But anyway, um, I was never sick with cancer. I never had a cancer that had me in bed and I was on dreadful medication it didn't hit me like that I came from from the other angle where we discovered it before it made itself known and I went and I had my treatment and I started my treatment on April and in April um, 2011 and in October 2011 when we closed the hotel at the end of the season I told all the staff Um, But they had gone through all treatment and they didn't know I was in the middle of treatment at all. I didn't lose my hair on that particular round. I did on the last round, but not on that particular round. Um, So I just, you just, listen, these things happen. Like if people get cancer, it happens a daily occurrence. Okay. It happens to me, right? God, very sad, unbelievable. Head down and and be depressed. It gets you nowhere. It is me. I could be hit by a bus tomorrow and be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life, which is worse. You have to make up your own minds and get on with it. To me, it's not the end of the world by any means. Actually, it's it's a huge positive, if if it could be a positive, insofar as that you enjoy every day and you take more time for yourself and for your family than I would have had previously. Like I would have genuinely worked um, 15 or 16 hours every single day, six days a week and seven days most weeks um, for probably 20 years. And for the last 10 years or 12 years, I would certainly um, – Take more time off and structure my days differently. That allows me time to breathe and to not to be stuck in operation, fifteen hours every day. So I have we've kind of restructured the way we would run the hotel and structured the way we 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 have all the businesses set up. In that, I would have managed everything, but now we have managers everywhere. So and um, I could instead of managing one hundred and eighty people, I'd really only managed three so it's it's a lot easier from that point of view but it's it's you have to be um you just have to step back and look at it and say right we want to do this and in three years time we'd like to or four years time we'd like to be in that position there um, and that's the plan at play at the minute
1: i mean that's that's what i was really interested in asking you was was how that diagnosis changed you and it sounds as if it has changed you in many positive ways in terms of you spending more time with your family more time on your own self-care?
0: Yeah, Life is terminal. No one ever views it as being terminal unless they're sick themselves. And then when you're sick yourself with, with, with a, a sickness called cancer, which is a horrendous name and conjures up all the wrong um, um, impressions in people's hands. But when, you, when, when you're diagnosed with that, you step back and you say, wow, this could be three years, it could be five years, it could be 10 years, it could be 20 years, it could be 30, God knows, who knows. But it makes you think like that, mm. where you're sitting in that chair there now looking at me and you're not thinking, you're thinking, right, in, when I'm 70, I'll be walking down the Pier, or I'll be in Tremor or I'll be in wherever. And then we're going to buy a place in Spain and we'll retire there for the winter. And all of these plans and everyone has these plans. Everyone is going to die old in their bed. Okay, that's really what everyone has. No one ever has this vision that they're going to be sick and they're going to be in a nursing home and they're going to be on a drip for two years or whatever the case is. Be, but that happens, people as well. Whereas in my position, that has that thought process probably hits you much quicker mm-hmm. than if you were if you ever diagnosed with cancer. And as a result of that, then you step and you say, "Yeah, we'll just do it now." And instead of putting x amount of euros into a pension every year in this wonderful nirvana that's going to happen over there and you enjoy today
1: Mm. and
0: that's really what we what what we do don't go mad now but we we would like you, you would just do things that you may not have done previously like for instance in our business i'd love to make toothpaste because if you made toothpaste, toothpaste comes through a manufacturing process that is flawless because it's all machines. It's shoved in a tube. There's a seal put <laughs> on top and a screw top put in that is put in the box and off it goes. Okay, can't go wrong. Okay, it's, if it goes wrong, it happens at middle of at the very start of the process with the mixing of the paste, and then it's going to be caught if it's not right by the time it hits the shelves. In our business, it's twenty four hours a day and mm-hmm. it's relentless because if you get a cup of coffee and this and the spoon is on the left-hand side of the cup, but the handle's on the right, I go out of my mind because Mm. the handle should be under the... The spoon should be under the handle on the right-hand side of the cup. All of those little things are a constant worry, and we never close. So, for instance, if you own a shop in the middle of town and it opens from 9 to 6, you close at 6 o'clock. You go home, nothing, but that doesn't happen in our business. So to actually step back, back and get away from it, only for cancer, I wouldn't have do that as much as I'm doing it now. And that's a great positive because you can get sucked into this business and particularly when you own properties and um, you get sucked into businesses that ends up working 75 or 80 hours a week, which is um, unsustainable long-term, but you don't realize that when you're in the business.
1: So would you say you're good now at taking good care of yourself in terms of your own health habits?
0: A hundred percent better than I ever was before. Um, and I would be hundred percent conscious of what we eat um, and um, exercise and all of that, um, I was I went to Dublin the other day for a meeting, and the weather in Dublin in the winter is noticeably better than it is in Kerry, mm-hmm. and it was lovely because I had the meeting in Ballsbridge, and there was lots of people walking around with their dogs, and down here we were in the middle of a storm. So, it, and that was the third storm to hit us in five days. The, the third was the worst one. Like the first one we were on red and everything was closed. It was grand. It was a dammy day down here. But the third one was horrendous. So we get a weather in the West that will be harsh in the winter and has noticeably got harsher in, in recent years. Um but we get the make the most of it and get out and you walk. I would like I would like to be someplace else in the winter that had a milder climate than we have here, is drier than it is at the minute. But from a tourism point of view, that's not a great statement. So you might want to edit that little bit out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) John, do you mentor young people yourself and have you benefited from mentoring in your career?
0: Not officially to both questions. However, unofficially, we would mentor people all the time. And just like my comment earlier that um, I told the chef not to come back next year. That's mentoring insofar as that I'm encouraging him to, to move and see better things and other restaurants that when he comes back, he'll have a greater grasp and a greater um, vision and creativity with the experience he would have gained from travel. So we would do that all the time. Yes, we would. And we wouldn't even know we're doing that. Like we had a young girl worked in the restaurant and then after just a few years ago, and after three months, I sat her down and I said, tell us now, I said, how are you getting on? Oh, she says, I'm fine. And I said, are you learning much? Oh, yeah, she says, I'm learning loads. I said, tell us things now that you're learning. But she says, I always go to such and such a coffee shop, which I won't mention. And she said, I always love it. Now, to me, the coffee shop was a nice shop. The food was always excellent in it. All fresh ingredients, no messing. And it's a nice, nice environment. And she says, you know, I can't go there anymore. And I'm looking at her thinking, what's wrong with you? I said, why? I said, why can't you go? No, she says, because the sugars and the milks and the salts and the peppers are never in the middle of the table. They're all over the place. And she, we didn't teach her that, but she absorbed that from working with us. And that's that's a huge part of it. I would know a lot of people who would be hugely successful in, in life, who are customers in the hotel, who I've come to know over the years personally. And yes, I would ask them for um, not advice, I would bounce ideas off them. Mm and um, it wouldn't be an official mentoring I wouldn't have a person who mentors me in in, in that respect officially but there would be certain people who I wouldn't do anything without do that would be substantial without asking their opinion yes and so they would share their opinion with that and most people most people would be delighted to be asked do you know like if a a person you, you through the television program, you get a whole lot of headcases who want to open every sort of thing in every sort of corner in Ireland and they'd fry our heads. You just wouldn't have the time for doing that at all. But for genuine ones in the middle of it all, yes, 100%. I'd be, I've often gone to places and had a chat with people. Um, but, you know, sometimes I get, I get the, the opinion, if you don't know yourself what you should do, don't ask anyone else. Mm. Because it's only you that's going to drive that business. And it's like the TV show. We get in the car and move home. But we leave people behind who have a substantial investment, a business and a future of which they're not sure about. But really, they have to do that themselves because you can't be taught how to run a business successfully on a daily basis. That has to be you. And you have to have the passion, the vision and the drive to drive it on because businesses don't drive on their own. Yes. And they need a person behind them. And if you don't have that passion and that vision, this pointless asking me in, to say, will you give me a look at this and tell me your opinion on that? Mm. Certainly for little elements of it, yes. But for the big global vision, it has to be the person who owns the business.
1: Yes, I think passion, purpose and vision are really, really so important. John, at this stage in your life, you know, how do you define
0: success? Happiness. Yes. Um, there's no doubt about it. Like there's, there's loads of hugely successful people who are not wealthy, mm-hmm. who no one would know but they are 100% content in the life that they live, have the means in which they, 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 they need to fulfill their wants and desires. And they're delighted. Like I pass a man every morning driving out the road here in a Jeep going golfing. And I'm going the other way, going into work. And I'm thinking, hasn't he, isn't who, which one of us is success? Like, is he the guy who's more successful? Not that I never judge success I and mean, I hate the word actually. And it's on the front cover of my book and I hate it. I can't stand it. But anyway, it's slipped the net. But people often say, oh, who stays in the park with hell, meaning stars and celebrities and names. The best stars and celebrities and names are people who have never heard of him, who wouldn't know at all, who go and have, have done wonderful things. We had a man who bought an apartment off me and he was from a. Uh, Boca Raton in Florida, and he was 97, and I'm thinking to myself, what is he buying an apartment in Kenmore for at 97? So I said to him one day, I said, would you mind telling me now, I said, where did you make the money? And he said, God says, John, in 97 years, he said, there's a lot of water under the bridge. But he said, the main thing was, he said, just before World War II, I bought the worldwide rights to sell the United States Army with, and I'm thinking helicopters, jets, bombs but he said elastic for their trousers wow and he says i tell you john he says if a gi drops his pants it's my problem he says (laughs) (laughs) so he it's it's the niches that people make yes and another man who who owns the worldwide rights to um aloe vera imagine Mm
1: -hmm. that
0: every bottle of aloe vera you buy anything with aloe vera in it he gets a cut Mm -hmm. and it's not a fantastic place to get yourself but no one knows these people. But that's real success that people think. But you don't have to be successful in anything but in your own life. Absolutely. And if you're successful in your own life and you're happy, that's ultimate success. I
1: couldn't agree more. Success is living, living, living life on your own terms, in your own way. And as you said, inner happiness and contentment are, are real measures of, of fulfillment. John, I, I can see you as being a very, very resilient person uh, with your innate sense of optimism. Can you give our listeners three take homes for a resilient mind?
0: Oh, hey, questions like this not going to my head. <laughs> I think there's two sides to every story. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to make the most out of the positive side. hmm. And ignore the negative as much as possible mm-hmm. and do the best that you can in the most honest way possible. Um, I think in recent years, we've had a lot of business people and politicians who would have been on the borderline of honesty. And um, we'll not play at the minute, actually. But anyway, we'll leave him alone. Um, that At the end of the day, if you're nice to other people and Christian and then other people will react the same to you. And if you fail, if if it was a business venture you were going into and it failed, you'd still be respected if you did it right. And um, whereas there's, um, I would never like to be on the side of the cowboy or the or the or the the, the quick book. And um, I I, do, I don't go there. But from resilience and that, I just think I have a saying which I think of all the time: is no matter what happens today, the tide will go in and out twice tomorrow. Yes, unless you're, unless you're in the Pacific, um, but. With that happens no matter what you do that's not going to change out there tomorrow it's still going to come in and go out so you just do your best with the cards that have been dealt with you um, and you 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 navigate your way through um whatever the project or the issue would be and you get on with it but you 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 have to think of the positive now there's been as you say there's been loads of negatives but you shut the door on them and you just move on, because if you dwell and you think about them, it's doing it's 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 getting you nowhere. There's nothing to be got out of the negative. It, positivity is 100 percent.
1: So what I hear you saying really is, is is really that sense of realistic optimism, choosing to find the positive and maintaining a strong sense of perspective that, you know, in, in many ways, this too shall pass. And tomorrow is another day. Finally, for you, John,
0: what's the meaning of life? Um, did you, would you hear Byrne when he was asked that question to um, Charles Spencer, Diana Spencer's brother? And he said to me, you know, when you die and when you arrive at the pearly gates and he said, St. Peter's standing there in front of you and he turns around to you and he says, uh, now, he said, uh, what's your take on life? But he says, I never believed in you, but I'm damn glad to see you. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose the, the meaning of life is ultimately that just you, 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 you experience a very, very short amount of time in the overall scheme of things. You contribute something to it that is positive and you do as little negative to other people as a, as humanly possible mm. and you enjoy what's here to be enjoyed and you try and do your best to preserve and not to diminish what's here for the next generation and the generations to come. Um, I, it, I went to the National um, History Museum in New York um, last week and it just puts everything in perspective like 35 million years ago, there was that fellow animal standing out there or whatever the case is. Like the window we have is a joke in the overall scale of things. So we're only here for a very defined uh, amount of time. And it's just to enjoy it as much as possible and contribute as much as you can um, without being um, hurtful to others. That would be my stance on it anyway.
1: I think that's a wonderful way to end our podcast conversation, John. It's been wonderful having you in the doctor's chair. Keep leading, keep innovating, keep showcasing the best of Irish hospitality at home and abroad. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you very much indeed. Enjoyed it.
1: Thank you for listening to my podcast in the doctor's chair. For further resources to support you to live with more vitality, please visit my website, drmarkrow.com.